Hello, welcome to episode four of the Forgettable Half Hour. We've got a very special podcast this week because we are going to introduce you to our very first dial-in guest, but more on that in just a second. My name is Jason Van Gendron and I'm joined as always by my lovely co-host Megan. Hello. How are you? Yeah, good. (laughs) Now we're actually recording this for the first time in separate rooms tonight, so it's going to be a little bit odd for us because we can't eyeball each other, Megan, but hi, wherever you are in the house. (laughs) I can still see you. <laughs> now, this podcast is um, an informal chat as we have a little wine and a natter about life as a dementia care survivor. And as I said before, for the first time ever, we're being joined by a very special guest this evening. Megs, would you like to do the honours? Yeah, well, I'm a little bit biased about this special guest because she is a long, long, <laughs> long time friend of mine. Uh, we met in uni 20 years ago and we have a, a, a wonderful history together. Uh, but we did want to have Shelley on this evening um, on our podcast talking about everything that she does in the aged care space because it's, because it is unbelievable. It's really, really inspiring. Um, her current role is a really, really cool, a really cool title. I really love it. It's Head of Person-Centred Design and Research. And and basically what Shelley has done over the last, how long have you been in aged care, Shell? Oh, about seven years now, Megs. Yeah, and so you, you, you're really into innovation, really into just super thinking outside the box um, and really about empowering everyone that you work with to make sure that the um, that the person that we're looking after is is first and foremost, that it's really about that, that person-centred kind of care. Um, so we're really happy to have you on the podcast this evening. And as Jay said, this podcast will be launched during Carers Week. So it's really, really fitting to have somebody who is right in that space. That is Shelley Fletcher. So thank you for, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Megan and Jason. It's an absolute delight to be joining you guys. I've been, as you said, along your journey and have witnessed it and have always admired the love and the passion, enthusiasm, and also your growing expertise in this area. So it's a delight to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Shelley, I don't know if um, Megan explained this to you before, but it is actually customary for us to crack a wine as we chat. Um, Is that going to be okay with you? That is so fine. As Meg said, we did meet in university, so I think, I think that, that that's totally okay. It'll take you back to those Now, the those slightly days. awkward thing here is that Megan is in another room of the house and she is cracking the wine. I think you've got both glasses there, Meg. So while you are cracking that bottle, I'm going to run and find wherever you are to claim my glass. And Shelley, you can introduce what you're drinking tonight. Thanks, Jason. Uh, I am drinking a Shaw and Smith, a Savion Blanc. Ooh, what are you guys drinking, Megan? We're having a Chardonnay, and it's um, it's called Ladies Who Shoot Their Lunch. Oh, that's the one with the great lo- the label, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hope it's good. It's from it's from Victoria, so it should be good. Oh, the wonders of audio! No, you didn't notice I was gone for the last yeah, thirty well seconds, done. did you? Well done. So, what, what was it called again, Max? The ladies that shoot their lunch. Ladies or who sh- ladies who shoot their lunch. Yeah. Oh, that's all right, isn't it? Yeah, that's nice. It's a bit buttery. It's lovely. Now, the title of this podcast this week is going to be Making Aging Meaningful. So I'd, I'd really love for us to, I guess, frame a bit of a conversation around that making aging meaningful. And of course, time and time again, we found we're faced with a society that sort of squeezes our elders out um, and particularly uh, our elders with dementia. And that's certainly been a, a lot of our experience and our observations of, you know, being a family living in that space as well. And of course, you know, despite our bodies failing us and our minds fogging um, with things like dementia, there's 
qualities inside us that still always remain ageless shell. And, you know, thinking about laughter, thinking about fun, thinking about being playful and emoting and um, craving that sense of purpose as we all do, even as we age. How do you think, Shell, we we can act on those ageless wants and needs? What's a bit of a start for that conversation? Yeah, I'm going to draw on my grandmother here. So um, uh, I was really fortunate to have a really beautiful relationship and friendship with my nan. She's recently passed away. Um, So to paint the picture, you know, nan was um, super fit and healthy, really engaged in the community, skydived to celebrate her 80th. And this is where it has sparked, my relationship with her has really sparked my um, passion for aged care. And I think about Nan's experience with ageing and it was to not lose who she was as a person. And that has been my driver for the need for the industry to move away from client-directed care to person-centred. And I reflect on your journey with Omar and that's what you guys continue to do, whether it was you recognising that the aquarium was special to her heart and you brought that in. And even, I mean, skydiving is quite extravagant, but through all the people that I've been had the privilege to partner with on their ageing journey, the standout for me is that they don't they don't lose the person that they are. Absolutely. I, I think that's that's the hard thing, isn't it? And particularly with dementia is, is so many people on the outside just don't know where to start finding that person back again or, or how to actually make something meaningful for that person. And I, I think I just want to sort of draw back on your your um, your deep past as well and, and all the different innovative projects you've been involved with along the way. I want to, I want to take you back to um, the telepresence robot you came up with called Wheel I Am, which I think was an incredible way of bringing meaningful life into people in an aged care facility in that instance where they couldn't necessarily get out and explore other environments. I'd love you to talk a little bit about Wheel I Am uh, because I know that that's certainly one of the things that I came across first with you. I was actually lined up outside the Apple store in George Street awaiting the launch of the new phone and all of a sudden this crazy little Segway robot thing comes rolling along the footpath with an iPad on top of it and it was talking to people in the street. And I was like, wow, what is this? I didn't even know you were behind it. So t- tell me about the brainchild of Will I Am. How did that come into your space? Yeah, I mean, in the year 2022, um, it probably doesn't sound that innovative, but this was, what, 10 years ago now? Gosh, yeah. has it been that long? Uh, so what we were recognising was that um, people who were living in an aged care home were still wanting to have that connection to the outsider, which, you know, is is not surprising. Um, but we were finding that to really make that a really powerful experience was difficult. So uh, we actually did some prototyping before that to the point where um, I strapped a mobile phone to my head using a camp uh, torch and <laughs> I would travel around the museum. But unfortunately that made uh, the experience for the others on the end very jumpy and was giving people motion sickness. Needless to say, <laughs> I also had a red mark around my forehead um, after those tours. So The concept of, you know, touring art galleries or their favourite beach or even just walking down the main street and allowing people to feel the buzz um, that, you know, they had been so familiar with, 
that was the attraction, but we knew that the execution of the mobile phone strapped to my head um, wasn't a sound <laughs> approach. So we kept <laughs> I looking. I wish I'd seen that. Yeah, oh, I can send you a photo. Um, we kept looking at the market and then we came up, the, This there was this presence of this iPad. Um, people may be more familiar with it. I think there was an episode on Modern Family. Um, that People always seem to resonate to that. So it was essentially just an iPad on wheels. Um, the name Will I Am was through a co-design session with the seniors I was working with at the time they actually came up with that idea and one of them was really into the music of that um artist will i am as well so he he thought that was great uh so yeah we we had this ipad on wheels it would do simple things like roll down the main streets um, i'm located in the bundjalung nation so just in northern new south wales it would roll down the main streets of byron do a surf check but where you saw it, we actually started to explore as well, like taking it down to Sydney and getting people to connect back to, the, you know, the Queen Victoria building or the Harbour Bridge um, and they could, yeah, pick a trip and Will I Am would go and explore that. Uh, I thought it was fantastic, Shell, because, I mean, Sony, um, you know, certainly our experience with Oma was she found technology really confronting and difficult to relate to and I think it was a beautiful way of making technology meaningful and accessible to people in that environment. Yeah, I think that's something that we really need to be focused in on this design space is that whilst technology is becoming more available, it's the execution that is so important for myself and my team um, and that ensuring that it's not a barrier and it actually enables any service or product that we're trying to um, stand up for our seniors. Yeah, without it being something that, that looks clunky or that looks odd, like, it, yeah, it sounds like you really made it um and just work within work within the the audience, but also um, the the outcome was obviously was obviously so meaningful and so beautiful for the people that were engaging. Yeah, and maybe it's an insight into the future. But I remember once Will I Am, and I'm going to talk like as if it's a person. Will I Am had a stack, and we were all like, "Oh my gosh!" And then the <laughs> residents at the aged care knew that he had had a stack, and I got him back, and it was like I was getting someone out of the car, like they'd all waddled out to the parking area and wanting to check on Will I Am. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think it's you know that you have designed it when there's a true connection um, between yeah what you what you're trying to stand up and the passion behind it. And Another program you were heavelily involved in, which which you innovated, was Ask Grand Not Google, which I th- got a lot of media exposure all around the world, particularly here in Australia, which is really encouraging school students to pass on wisdom from grandparents. How did that idea come about, and 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 how do you think it? Why did it take off so well? Yeah, so the idea um, came about, I was actually on a road trip and I wanted to know, I can't even remember what that was now, but I wanted to know something and I went to turn to Google and I didn't have the internet reception. And in the car, I was reflecting that, oh, my grandfather would actually know the answer to this. And then I thought, oh, geez, I haven't spoken to Pop, you know, since being on this road trip for two weeks. So once we got there and we got reception, I called Pop and sure enough, he knew the answer. And then that just sparked to me that all the times I'm personally turning to Google and not having that conversation uh, with Pop. So I banned all my cousins and my sibling um, that they couldn't Google for three weeks and that if they had a question, they had to ring Nan or Pop. So at the time, um, the age gaps were between six and, and 36. So we we're all ringing Nan and Pop and it just sparked such great joy in our family. And um, as I said, I had a really great relationship with Nan, but with Pop, it was always like you would call and the conversation, you know, at times felt a bit tokenistic on both parties and you'd run through the, how are you? Yeah, good. Okay, great. 
Uh, but this really brought it out in terms of we were able to connect on on mutual things, so much so that um, I was ringing Pop a lot about, at the time, I was really wanting to grow a veggie garden. And he ended up flying up and building my veggie garden for oh, me. Wow. So, um, <laughs> you know, and I think if I hadn't had that conversation, I just kept going to Google. Um, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have um, scored a very engineered uh, veggie garden, nor had the great relationships. And then I took it to the organisation I was working with at the time, and we trialled it. And like you said, it it just went off, and it's still going to this day. So, um, my eldest daughter in kindergarten has just done the program. Uh, so. Yeah, it's in, it's incredible that it's still going um, all this time later. So what does that mean in terms of, because I'm just thinking back to sort of our experiences when Oma would be involved in something that we were doing and I know it would really fill her mental well-being cup that day. Like what, what, what sort of um, things do you notice within the homes that you work in, like how that, I guess, uh, affects mental well-being or um, meaningfulness or, how, yeah, how does that sort of... Um, have a bit of a ripple effect through the people that you're working with. Yeah, I think when you're living in an aged care home, you know, the what comes in really sets your day. So if you have um, a purpose and you are getting postcards from children, it really sets your mindset around what value you can add. I feel like I could rattle off all the things that would be beneficial for the seniors, but I think the true beauty um, in that program was the benefit it had for others, and I think that's why it's been sustainable. And I think this really talks to what you and Jason are trying to do is to make our seniors visible and valuable, which they are. It's not I shouldn't say we're trying to make that because they are definitely valuable in their own right. But I even think about the trend that's happening now, you know, the 100 days of kindy, you dress up as a 100-year-old. And personally, I sometimes struggle with the imagery that comes out because we're telling these five and six-year-olds, you know, to go to school bent over and wear Mm. glasses and, you know, pretend that you can't hear when I feel like as a community, we have this great opportunity to say, well, what resilience does it take to get to 100? And what can people who are 100 teach us? And I think it's these small um, lack of decision making that we do as a community that it then sets up this culture that it's okay to minimize aging and you know it can start off as something as small as that to the imagery we see where there's a support worker leaning over someone that's older it just starts conditioning us that it's okay yeah. to minimize you know these people who are aging yeah completely and you think of your gran who you spoke about when you when you opened who jumped out of a plane at 80 like that's not that's not this and I I totally miss that 100 day thing because we were in lock Artie was in lockdown so I didn't even know what this thing was until this year and I did look at it and I found it really jarring that we were yeah like you say bent over with walking sticks and I'm like I don't know any of my old people that that actually behave in that way and I yeah I found it quite jarring looking at it all and and I didn't really understand it like (laughs) I completely agree with you it's like this conditioning that we have that or this expectation that um that's what our older our older uh, Aussies look like and it's yeah it doesn't have to be that way and it isn't that way yeah like I don't want to be extremist about this and think that every hundred year old's not walking around without a walking stick like I definitely think we need to normalize aging so sure they are walking around with some are walking around with walking sticks and they Mm. they do um are living with a hearing or a vision impairment but it's who they are as a person that hasn't gone away and we don't open up those conversations we just lean into I guess this might be a bit strong, but almost mocking ageing. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Now, Cheryl, you've you've crossed into community um, care services now. So 
you are working in the space of of uh, you know where where carers place themselves in in you know re- residential settings to help people stay at home longer, um, which is also a cause super super close to our hearts. Naturally, having had the you know the the, the pleasure of looking after Omer at home for almost five years. I just wanted to make note too that this this coming week in Australia at least is National Carers Week, and on that uh, on an Australian scale alone, we've got two point six five million Aussies involved in the care or support of someone less able just in this country, um, and most of those are unpaid carers as well. But you know, you look at it on a global context, the UK. Their figure is 13.6 million carers. Canada, 7.8 million. In the USA, there are 56.4 million carers. It is staggering the numbers and the size of us. Um, But the thing I want to draw back here is even when you do as a family or as a couple or as a partner make that decision to initiate care at home and keep care at home, it does still take a community of care to care. And you can't do those things alone without a great network and a great support system around you to help make those things accessible. And I know, Megan, from our perspective, you know, there was no way we could have had four and a half years of Oma living with us at home without carers coming in every week to help supplement the activities and, and the services we were supporting. Absolutely not. No, no, no. So, Shelley, how do you think that the professional care space can help adapt then to those increasing needs and demands of an ageing society that we're living in? Yeah, I think that's a, a really complicated opportunity and that's I have the privilege of working at Integrated Living and this is what we're trying to solve. So mm. I think there's a couple of things there. One thing I would call out is I feel like in for seniors we've really driven home this independence and I know myself I'm a, a mum with four young children and I'm not independent. I rely on a nanny and the school and yeah. a cleaner. And I, I think then when we get to aging, we drive this independence. And I've always questioned why. Um, I'm obviously all for reablement and wellness, but I think we need to be mindful that to be 80 and independent is difficult. And then for mm. families, it, that is also difficult. And it's okay to um, need help and want help. And I think we just need to shift that conversation that, um, being, you know, succeeding at aging isn't doing it on your own and it's not being independent. So that, that's one thing that I'm really passionate about. And then in terms of how we can support carers, I think obviously technology comes into this, but the thing that I'm personally really passionate about is recognizing everybody in this um, ecosystem as people. And that for me is that drive away from client directed care to person centered. So for you guys, you know, it's about um, making sure that in, you know, when you were providing all that love and care for Alma, but it's also recognizing yourselves in this situation and your children. And I don't think as an industry at the moment, we do that very well. And that's something that um, I'm really hoping that we can improve on. It's great to hear you say that, because I think, Megs, that's, that's something you often talk about, how we felt it quite hard to identify with that that label of being a carer. What did that mean? How did that change our roles currently in the family to Oma or with Oma? And then, you know, also feeling guilty for asking for help because we were a, a working couple, we had a family, there was more of us in the house, and we felt almost that sense of, you know, do we deserve that? Do we deserve that assistance or that help in the house? Shouldn't we be doing this ourselves? Is that right, Max? Yeah, completely. Because I mean, we're we're young, we're young people. It felt like we would be burdening the system if we asked for any more help. And I guess that we had this real struggle with identifying as a carer because, I mean, at the same time, we were 
parents of really young children at the same time. So you, mm. yeah, I, I mean, we had Evie in 2019, like we had a, we had another baby in the house. And so here I am trying to sort of identify as a new mum and have my postpartum period, but needing to be a, a carer at the same, at complete the same time. And, and there was no sort of switch either with, um, the way that our care, our, our care package changed. Um, mm given given us having a newborn like that that just didn't come sort of come into the into the equation either so we sort of muddled really just muddled through that and tried to make that work as best as we possibly could so yeah that sort of shifting really shifting towards patient centered and and what the carer the carer's needs are to make sure that they're the best version of who they can be as well is is really super important and really yeah like you say shell really somewhere that we really need to be steering towards definitely because as you've caught out in these stats jace we know that there's going to be more and more carers and um you know we, we need to also remember that as an aged care provider we're probably in the person's lives you know for a section of it and then what happens mm. around that. And I think we, we need to really bring those two worlds together. And you guys did an, an exceptional job, but being involved in your story has also, you know, given me that insight into what it is to be like as a carer and as an adult child carer. And then as you've said, Megs, as um, a carer of your own family, like yeah, it was big and you guys smashed it. So kudos to you. Thank you. That's lovely to hear you say. We we still felt like we were very much had our training wheels on and we were learning during that whole process. And the more we speak to carers, that's pretty much how most carers feel, right? It's, you know, family carers feel like they learn as they go unless you've gone through that multiple times. And, and probably every time you go through, it's going to be a different experience too. But, you know, it is an interesting thing because I guess there are a fair few bar- barriers too for people seeking in-home help, what, what in your experience do you find are some of the more common barriers to people actually putting their hand up and saying, you know what, I do need some help? I think at a population level, the the people that we're currently caring for are very stoic. Um, I think when our yeah. generation hits care, we'll, I think we'll be coming with very different needs and a whole level of assertiveness. Um, but I think the, the current population that we're partnering with, and I use that word partnering, not caring for or providing services. Mm. I When I um, you know meet with the seniors, I, I really do think it's a partnership and that's the crux of uh, person-centered care. So I think it's, you know, that generation and what they uh, have explored. Unfortunately, we know that aged care is really difficult to navigate. And until you have experienced that, you think it is going to be simple. And, you know, we've heard time and time again that it's not. So we know that, you know, going through that assessment process to being approved, um, it's really difficult. So if someone is experiencing that, to try and reach into someone who is, who is experienced or find a provider that helps you navigate uh, the system easier and to be really um, honest with the care needs that you or your loved one uh, has and to really try and just work through normalising ageing. So, Shelley, aside from those physical tasks and chores that we'd be very familiar with, having in-home care support uh, you know, in a, in a residential setting, such as in our case, you know, we had carers come in to help Oma with shopping, um, with uh, self-care, so showering, things like that. Um, and I know you can have in-home support for cleaning and the sorts of tasks and activities that become a bit more difficult to do um, as we grow older. What are you seeing as some of the more innovative ways that 
you're seeing ageing being assisted in the home environment. Yeah, technology is definitely something that we're seeing lots of innovation in. So whether that's the increase in telehealth or virtual care or whether how we're able to monitor someone in their own home or how that carer can be enabled. So, you know, an example is um, a partner's pillow can shake and wake them up when somebody else gets up out of bed. So in our industry, we're flooded with examples like that. What I'm really excited about, and this is why I joined Integrated Living, is we're really committed to moving away from innovation and more into that transformation. So how do we drive true sustainable change that really sparks a big change for our industry? Yeah, it's, it's beautiful to hear you say that. It's, it's wonderful to, to, to see how progressive that field in this industry can become and that we're still looking at the people at the heart of this. And I, I think that's so encouraging for us as families to know that that's being thought about and worked on and actioned, which is incredible. But if you've got time for one more question, Shelley, I'd love to know from your take on this, in our particular home and family environments that you're seeing day to day, what can we all do to help be more inclusive of elders' needs? Just honour the person that they are and celebrate that. And I think, you know, to our younger generations, allow them to adore our seniors, like how Artie and Evie, you know, like just the the love and the bond that you guys uh, demonstrated for them. It's so evident. So I think um, take, a, take a leaf out of Artie and Evie's outlook onto Omar and Brie and Levi as well. Oh, thank you, Shell. Yeah, I think a lot of it's just around if you don't have anyone close to you, like within your immediate family that is older, it's really about, um, you know, looking around your neighbourhood and maybe just drawing a picture and throwing it in the letterbox and just starting that little bit of a connection and, um, and you know, just just the involvement and, and the anticipation of walking to the letterbox and seeing if there's going to be another little picture or a little letter or something like that is is an act in itself that creates, you know, socialisation and movement and um, happiness and, and um, you know, upregulates that mental well-being and things like that as well. So, and like you say, Shell, just absolutely honouring the person that they are and, and finding out who they are and where they've been and what they've done and, and what they hope to do, you know. I like your idea around what we can do in the community. I was listening to some research that as women age, they start to wear brighter lipstick or bigger earrings and it's connected to this fact that they feel like they haven't been seen. So maybe we could all be someone's red lippy and acknowledge <laughs> them in the community and just say hi. So, um, you know, people choose to wear red lippy because they want to, not because they feel like they need to be seen. So be someone's red lipstick tomorrow. Maybe that's oh, what we God, can I can be. totally see a new campaign Hashtag. coming. <laughs> Hashtag be someone's red lipstick. Such a good idea. It has been so wonderful talking to you, Shell, and, like, we don't get to talk enough, so I'm just so glad that I got to still a half an hour with you, even though it's kind of work-related. But thank you so much for sharing all your insights sites um you're truly inspiring with the stuff that you're doing um in this space so we thank you and we know you're going to continue to do amazing things in this space watch this space everybody because shell fletcher is is a knockout you're going to do so many great things for everyone and hopefully for us you know one day when 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 we're when we're aging and we need your help too yeah i just want to say to you're a champion shelly you're like my idol hero in this space and Oh, guys, this is way too complimentary. <laughs> it's been wonderful to chat. Thank you so much for joining us as our first official guest on the Forgettable Half Hour. Um, thank you, Shelley. Thank you, Megs. Uh, and thank you for everyone tuning in and listening at home. We'll wrap it up on that and we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. The 
Unforgettable Half Hour is produced by Omas Applesauce Productions, copyright 2022.